and especially want to shout out our students, high school students that are with us this morning. And I want to start our sermon in a little bit of a unique way because we do have some students in here. And apparently this was done uh, by Esther Chang earlier in the year, so you might have a heads up about this. But I want to talk about Gen Z and Gen Alpha slang, okay? And I'm going to test you. I'm going to see how much you know, okay? Because I'm hearing some of these phrases and I'm learning them. I don't know a lot. So here's what I'm going to do. And this does have a point to the sermon, by the way. I'm going to give you a phrase... And then I'm just going to blanket, open it up to anybody. You tell me if you think you know what maybe this phrase could mean. Okay? Let's try it out. Okay, let's put the first phrase. It's an easy one to start off. First phrase. Hit me with it, Justin. That's peak cringe. Anybody? Any guesses? It's a pretty easy one. What's that? It's going on right now. Thank you, Jack. That's good. It's peak cringe. It's cringy. It's distasteful. That's an easy one. Let's go to the second one. No cap. Anybody? Someone earlier said no capitalization. <laughs> no cap. Anybody want to throw out one? Any ideas? Students, you want to help me out? Yes. Not lying. That's right. The band sounded great today. No cap. Got it? Good. Okay. All right. Let's go to the next one. These are where they get fun. That outfit slayed. Anybody want to guess? My daughter is she, like, this is peak cringe for her right now. That outfit slayed. Anybody? I mean, context clues, you sort of get it right. It's sort of crushed. Yeah, it's awesome. It went well. Like, I'm going to say, if you like my sermon going forward, you can meet me in the courtyard and say, that sermon slayed, bro. <laughs> I'm learning a lot here. Okay, a couple more. He's got serious riz. Any guesses? He's got game. Yes, exactly. Charisma. He's got game. That was a good one. Last one. <laughs> this food is bussing. <laughs> I'm positive I did not use that in the right context. This food is bussing. That's like, this food is great. This is awesome. Okay. Now, the last one, the whole point of me doing this entire thing, the last one is just a word, and it's a word that I hear at least 1,000 times per day. Let's throw up this word. Bruh, you know what I'm talking about. Parents and students, I'm not the only one, right? My three kids say this word in every single sentence that they used. So much so, I almost bought my wife this shirt uh, the other day. (laughs) We say that all the time. We have to say, my name's not bruh. Bruh, this happens all the time. Hopefully, I'm not the only one. In many ways, I was thinking about this concept of bruh that I hear consistently. And it's not like this slang is new, uh, but I thought about like the history of it. Because, of course, this is the newer version, but when I was a kid, we we used to just say bro. And this, of course, was short for brother. And this is not a new concept, calling someone bro or sis. But uh, the roots go deep. I was thinking about it. Like this was not not a normal thing until the early church made it so. It comes from a concept that we're going to talk about today called the family of God. In the early church, they took it seriously, believing that followers of Jesus were all children of God. Therefore, they were all siblings. 
addressing each other as brother or sister. Brother Lawrence, Sister Teresa. Uh, if we were Catholic, you could call me Father Adam. <laughs> Don't do that. It makes me uncomfortable. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a concept uh, related to this family of God and how we need to embrace it now, now more than ever. A couple of weeks ago, I read a New York Times article that was simply titled, Why Don't Adults Hang Out Anymore? This week, I listened to a podcast titled, Why Americans Stopped Hanging Out and Why It Matters. Both of these addressed this reality. I think many of us are aware of our culture is more individualistic than at any other time in history. One researcher goes as far to say there's no period in history on record where people have spent more time on their own. No period where people have spent less time with other people. And it's hard to think uh, that this is not a coincidence that in this new reality, both teenagers and adults are setting new records every year with levels of anxiety and depression. There seems to be an overall sense of like heaviness and dread. An NBC poll uh, that took place in 2023 wrote this, and I quote, we have never seen before this level of sustained pessimism in the 30 plus year history of this poll. It's all related. Uh, one study I read this week paints this picture of individualism in a, in a strange way. It showed that the average time people have spent with their pets has roughly doubled in the past 20 years. So much so, in 2022, and I quote, the average woman with a pet now spends more time actively engaged with their dog or cat than spends face-to-face with other humans in, on any given day. And that might seem crazy, but I'm guessing many of us can relate to parts of these studies. We spend more, times on, more time on screens, on our commutes, We work from home. It's easier to grab takeout and binge a show than it is to sit down at a table with other humans. Here's the deal. With all of our isolation, our time without others, our insistence of doing things on our own, we're falling for the oldest lie and trick in the book. In the beginning, in Genesis, we see a picture of wholeness and unity, God and humans walking together, humans vulnerable and authentic, naked and unashamed, a world of shalom. God specifically says it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. Humans need each other. But what's the strategy of the evil one? It's to separate. It's to divide, to create disunity. He creates a separation between humans and God, but also between each other. And this lie and strategy uh, continues to the next generation. Cain and Abel, literal brothers, bruh, sons of Adam and Eve, they go through such an intense disunity that Cain murders his brother. And when God asked him, where is your brother, what does he say? He says this, "I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? We're separate. I don't need to concern myself with him, only me. And this lie continues today, stronger than ever. We live in an individualist society where we focus on me and mine. And I have the ability to stay on a screen, have the ability to leave my house less. And the pandemic only accelerated trends 
that were already happening. And on these screens, we meet people who agree with our opinions and our thoughts, and it creates even further separation as we demonize those who think differently. It's not just me, right? You feel this too. More bubbles, more isolation, more polarization. And how about you, just for a moment, be honest with yourself. In the past five or ten years, has your life trended more to unity or disunity? Or how about this? How has the lie of separateness infiltrated into your life? There's a voice that speaks of separation, but it's a lie. It's an illusion. And today we're going to look at the truth. In one of Jesus' parting words, we see it. Uh, We've been looking the past two weeks, Jesus on the cross enduring unimaginable physical pain, and we can observe some deep and powerful truths as he speaks these final phrases. So let's look at John 19 together, verse 25. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here's your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own house, his own home. Jesus is human. Jesus has a human mother. And for a moment, just think of your mother for a second. For some of you, maybe your your mom has passed away. Others, maybe your relationship wasn't the strongest. Maybe you didn't have the best mom. But in general, I want to make a bold statement. Moms are what make the world go round. Oh, yeah, there's a clap. Great. That's not me pandering to you moms, although I'm not above pandering. Uh, But it's true. Like cookies, taxiing to practices, hugs, band-aids, unconditional love. It's It's an intimate relationship unlike any other. And Jesus was human. So he would have known this, and his mother would have known Jesus with an intimacy no one else can fathom. She would have cooked him meals. She would have comforted him when he cried. And now the same son she nursed as a baby and bandaged his wounds was dying right in front of her. She could do nothing. It's such an intense moment. Imagine the feeling of loss and despair and isolation for her. Most scholars believe her husband, Joseph, had died at some point at that time, uh, that Mary would have been a widow. I'm certain there would have been a voice whispering to her of her separateness, how alone she would be. But what does Jesus do? He speaks from an ancient truth, a word of unity and wholeness, a word of shalom. He tells his beloved mother, I'm leaving, but you won't be alone. He gives this beautiful, uh, this simple message to John, his disciple who stood with him. He says, you, you belong to each other. I'm leaving, but you still have a son. And John, you have a mother. And we see that John listens and takes her to his home. And what we see here is the creation of the new family of God. It goes beyond blood and DNA There was to be no separation, but all were to be one. 
It's beautiful, isn't it? But here's the deal. This is a nice concept to talk about in a sermon, but in reality, it is really, really hard because every family is different. I mean, uh, think about it this way. As John takes Mary to his home, you can imagine some initial awkwardness. Like what if John loved eating fish, but Mary hated the smell of fish and she walked into the house and she thought to herself, oh man, this is the rest of my life, isn't it? This is great. Uh, Have you ever walked into another family's house and just thought, man, this smells different? (laughs) Every family has distinct behaviors and traditions and quirks. Uh, Real quick, uh, I want you to just think about this. What is something you inherited or you got from your family, okay? What you think about? Some personality or physical traits, some kind of tradition, a love of a sports team, maybe some quirk or some weird hobby. Uh, Think about it for a few seconds. I want you to think about that. And now real quick. Before we continue, I just want you to turn to someone close to you, even if you don't know them, and just share one of these things that you've inherited from your family, you've gotten from your family, okay? Turn, turn to someone close and just share one of those things. Cool. So we all have many things, right? Uh, one interesting thing, one, one for me, is I inherited a love for a food called salmon fritters, okay? Essentially, these are round balls of fried breading mixed with canned salmon. You could say that these salmon fritters are bussin'. <laughs> no, see? Thank you, thank you. Uh, My grandma, Gigi, she started making these many years ago, and it became a family staple to the point it's like legitimately one of my favorite foods. Uh, Now, when my wife, uh, back in the day, soon-to-be fiancé, came to meet Gigi for the first time, Gigi cooked up a big batch of salmon fritters because she knew it was one of my favorites. And honestly, in our family, like, we just assume everyone would love this delicacy, Why wouldn't you? If you didn't, you're some kind of pagan. But unbeknownst to Gigi, my wife is not a fish or a seafood person. And let me tell you, when you cook salmon fritters, the whole house starts to smell like Pier 39 in San Francisco a little bit. And this is not something Lori inherited from her family, but she was going to be joining my family, which creates tension and discomfort because every family is so different, right? Uh, But my wife is a sacrificial person, a lot like Jesus, so she covered them in ketchup, and she ate the salmon fritters, and when anyone asked how they were, she would just say, oh, real good, real good. I'm sure she was about to throw up the entire time. Uh, This is how it is, right? Like, we have our families, the ones we live with, who we inherit and get things from, and in these families are behaviors and actions that are natural for us, that are comfortable that are known, and these families can extend to broader groups we're a part of. And if we're careful, we see other families or groups, and we begin to believe things are separate. This illusion, this lie, 
And so we categorize and divide people into us versus them. These people are like me. I'm comfortable with them. They have my back. Those people are different, not family, not like me. They can figure it out themselves. I got the people I'm comfortable with, share my ideas, and then them, they are separate from us. But it's a lie. It's the oldest lie in the book. Mother Teresa once said it like this. The, the problem is we have forgotten that we belong to each other. We belong to each other. There's a voice of evil who tell, tells us we are separate, we are different, but it's a lie. It's an illusion. There's a voice of truth that speaks of an original intention and design. The truth that we belong to each other. We're the same blood. There is no us and them. In reality, we are all kin. We are all kin. In the South where I'm from, uh, we use that word a lot. Uh, We don't say I'm related to her. We say I'm kin to her. I said that once in Chicago, and the person close to me was like, what does that even mean? Uh, We're kin. We share the same blood. The reality is this is all of us. It's the kinship of all humanity. It's the power of Jesus saying, woman, you now have a son. Son, you have a mother. They're family. They're kin. They belong to each other. This is the vision of the kingdom of Jesus. Widows, orphans, refugees, wealthy, people on the margins, disabled, highly educated, unhoused, minority races, majority races, belonging to each other. But it's not easy, right? If we're going to live out this vision of belonging to each other, it will require something of us. It makes sense that Jesus gave this vision of a new family while he was on the cross. Because that's what's required. Sacrifice. If we're going to enter into spaces and relationships of caring, hospitality, and belonging, it will require us to sacrifice and lay down the barriers that keep us separate. Barriers that keep us bound to a screen or stuck in a bubble. For some of us, we have to lay down our fears. Maybe you love the idea of being a part of this caring, radical family, but then you rush out of church on Sunday. Or you refuse to reach out to someone during the week to grab coffee. It's scary. It's a barrier. For others of us, uh, we have to lay down our comforts. It's easier to engage with people who already know me. It's easier to engage with the screen. A a family, though, requires the willingness to be uncomfortable at times. For others, maybe it's laying down our biases or assumptions. Uh, Part of the reason I started this sermon in such a cringe-worthy, funny way uh, is because we long for this community to be intergenerational. Some churches are filled with older folks, Other churches are hip and trendy, filled with young folks. We want this place to be filled with old, young, middle-aged, and everything in between. But this requires laying down our assumptions about what an older person is like and what they want, or what a younger person is like and what they want. So what barriers are there for you in your life? What keeps you from engaging further and deeper in this community? How can you lay down some of those barriers? There's this uh, independent documentary that came up uh, years ago called Darius Goes West. 
It's about this 15-year-old boy named Darius who has muscular dystrophy. He's already lost uh, his older brother to MS, and he is stuck in a wheelchair. He's the kind of kid that's usually aware of the concept of separation. Stuck in a wheelchair, unable to do a lot of normal kid activities. Someone like this is usually pushed off to the margins and separated from normal things and relationships. But amazingly, this isn't the case for Darius. He meets a friend at a summer camp named Logan. And Logan finds out this fact about Darius. He has never left his town of Athens, Georgia, his entire life. So he and 10 other teenage friends decide to take him on a trip across the country. Throughout this this trip, there are these beautiful moments where they take him to a five-star hotel, or a moment when they look at the stars in the desert. At one point, they lift him into a raft, and they go whitewater rafting. Uh, At one point, they bring him to the Grand Canyon, and he's so moved to silence, and he has tears coming down from the beauty. Finally, they get to California and the Pacific Ocean, and his friends roll the wheelchair down to the water and then lift him up as the waves begin to wash over him. As his feet begin to touch the ground, he realizes this is the first time in years He's standing, and he proceeds to laugh uncontrollably. His body didn't work the way it was intended. There's a voice that says people like like this are separate, different. They're them. But his friends refuse to believe this lie. These friends could have spent their time in the summer, like most teenagers, playing video games, They could have internally responded by saying, am I my brother's keeper? But instead, they laid themselves down so someone else could be lifted up. They deeply knew this truth, that they belonged to each other. So as we think about highway community in this new season, I want to ask you, would you imagine with me In a world, Silicon Valley, place of separation, isolation, individualism, it's becoming more standard. What would it look like if we became more and more a community who refused to believe this lie? Imagine if we became more and more the kind of people that lay down our preferences and our comforts and our fears and radically cared for each other. We opened up our homes, made meals, cared for widows, orphans, refugees. Imagine with me if we became a group more and more focused on the needs of others instead of our own needs, attuned to what's happening and eager to provide. Imagine with me if we became a group that didn't hoard resources like food or money or time, but gave generously to those in need. This is the the church. This is the vision. This is the kingdom of Jesus. We follow a king who laid down his life for the sake of others, and so in turn, we lay down ourselves because we belong to each other. Let's pray together. 
Jesus, thank you for this reminder this morning as we think about you laying down yourself. I pray that we would get this clear vision of what it would look like to lay down ourselves for the sake of others because we belong to them. We're kin. So Jesus, I pray for all of us, these barriers that we have in our lives that are keeping us from engaging further, caring more. Would you give us the courage? Would you give us the wisdom to know how to break down those barriers? I do pray for our church. I pray for our community. Here in Silicon Valley, in this moment in time, I pray that you uh, would bring your spirit in a unique way to us. We long for this place to thrive and flourish. We long for this place to be a place where people belong deeply. We need your help. So we thank you for this moment. Pray that you continue to speak to us as we continue to worship. Amen.